From the rule of our holy father Saint Benedict, chapter the twenty-seventh, Qualiter Debeat, Esse Solicitus Abbas, Circa Excommunicatus. Let the abbot show all care and solicitude towards the offending brethren, <coughs> for they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick, to which end he ought, as a wise physician, to use every means in his power, sending some brethren of mature years and wisdom, who may, as it were, secretly console the wavering brother and induce him to make humble satisfaction. Let them comfort him, that he be not overwhelmed by excess of sorrow, but as the Apostle saith, let charity be strengthened towards him, and let all pray for him. For the abbot is bound to use the greatest care, and to strive with all possible prudence and zeal not to lose any one of the sheep committed to him. He must know that he hath undertaken the charge of weakly souls, and not a tyranny over the strong. And let him fear the threat of the prophet, through whom God saith, What ye saw to be fat, that ye took to yourselves, and what was diseased, ye cast away. Let him imitate the loving example of the Good Shepherd, who, leaving the ninety and nine sheep on the mountains, went to seek one which had gone astray, on whose weakness he had such compassion that he vouchsafed to lay it on his own sacred shoulders, and so bring it back to the flock. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Rarely does God call men of dazzling qualities, spotless integrity, and perfect health to the monastic life. Just look around. A monastery is not a stadium for ascetical performances. It is an infirmary for souls in various stages of spiritual convalescence and recovery. St. Benedict confirms this in chapter 72, where he says, Let them most patiently endure one another's infirmities, whether of body or of mind. And in today's chapter, St. Benedict says, Let the abbot know that what he has undertaken is the charge of weakly souls. Nobody de him say infirmarum curam suscepise animarum, non supersanas tyrannidem. This is one of the most important chapters in the Holy Rule, chapter 27. God does not see as men see. Where men read failure, crisis, and instability, God reads scope for the deployment of his mercy, his power, and his faithfulness. Jesus saith to them, Have you never read in the scriptures 
the stone which the builders rejected, or rejected as unsuitable, the same is become the head of the corner. By the Lord this has been done, and it is wonderful in our eyes. The master plan of the Father, by which the Son, rejected by the builders of this age, became the head of the corner in the building of the kingdom of God, is continued through the ages in the saints, known and unknown, in the lives of those canonized by the Church, and in the obscurity of lives totally unknown to men. It pleases God to make use of those whom the wise and clever reject. God is forever salvaging men from the scrap heap of unsuitables to which the world and the worldly in the church have consigned them. I was reading recently uh, the life of, of a contemporary of mine um, from uh, Caserta, that part of Italy where I have relations, um, Teresa Musco. Uh, Teresa Musco, um, anyone looking at her um, through worldly spectacles, judging according to the world, would say, the woman is a mess. Uh, and uh, uh, on, on one occasion, she, she said to our Lord, uh, Why did you ever choose me for this relationship with thyself? I am a shema. Uh, a shema is a, is, a, is a mad person, a fool. And our Lord answered her, saying, No, daughter, that I go all over the world looking for Ishemi, uh, uh, the foolish, uh, to draw them to myself. I found that a very beautiful and comforting word of our Lord. Um, I've reflected much also on our Lord's choice of Saints Peter and Paul as the foundations and pillars of his church. When our Lord called Simon Peter, he knew in advance that Peter would prove to be a cracked and unreliable element in the foundation of his church. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that Peter would show more cowardice than courage in the face of suffering. He also knew that after the resurrection, a fallen Peter would make this splendid confession of confidence and of love this perfect act of reparation, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. And when our Lord called Saul of Tarsus, he saw a man shot through with pride, spiritually arrogant, excessive in word and in deed, sunk deep in self-righteousness, and tormented by an inward unrest. He also saw Paul the Apostle profoundly humble, with entrails of mercy for sinners and compassion for the weakest among men, capable of great heroism in the service of the gospel and totally abandoned to his all-sufficient grace, 
thus made capable of radiating the peace of the Holy Ghost. An abbot must accept the family of flawed and broken men that God has entrusted to him. Fearing the threat of the prophet, wherein God saith, what you saw to be fat, fat, as I explained the other day, means uh, glowing with good health and all sorts of qualities. What you saw to be fat, that ye took to yourselves, and what was feeble ye cast away. This is not to say that all comers are to be taken in, nor does it mean that a novice has to be kept if after some time the abbot judges him ill-suited to our life or finds him uncooperative or sees him chronically unhappy. Vocations must be studied carefully. Some men will have to be sent away as being unsuited to the claustral life. Belief in the power of grace and reliance on the healing work of the Holy Ghost does not dispense one from exercising common sense, prudence, and due diligence. This being said, once a man has been adopted into the monastic family by profession, he is to be treated as a son of the household. By the vow of stability, a monk binds himself to a particular monastic family, to its father and to his brothers. After simple profession, the new relationship is recognized and affirmed, and the decision to go forward is made public. With solemn profession, the adoption is complete and irrevocable. A monastery is not a business in which employees can be fired on grounds of unsuitable performance. It is not a university from which those who prove to be dullards can be dismissed. It is not an exclusive club denying full membership to those lacking the desirable prerequisites. A monastery is a family, utterly dysfunctional by any human standards, and at the same time functioning by grace as a living organism of the body of Christ. Other religious orders can reject, and rightly, men lacking in the qualities and talents needed for their specialized or characteristic apostolates. A Jesuit in the classical mold needs a quick brain, a readiness for abnegation, and the ability to move comfortably in the world without becoming worldly. A Dominican has to be able to preach and to demonstrate the splendor of the truth, praising God all the while. A Franciscan has to be able to live on very little in the total renunciation of ownership and in a joyful and carefree abandonment to providence, all the while allowing himself to be 
configured to the crucified. A redemptorist has to be able to evangelize the poor in the remotest places using a language that is simple and capable of touching the heart. We Benedictines have no distinctive apostolate, no specialized ministry, no specific goal except ceaseless prayer and purity of heart. In chapter 58 of the Holy Rule, St. Benedict requires but three things of a man seeking admission to the monastery. One, that he truly be seeking God. Two, that he be zealous for the divine office. Three, that he embrace obedience and humiliations readily. In men having these three requisites, an abbot will find sons ready for adoption into the monastic family. If any one of the three requisites are missing, a man cannot be said to have a Benedictine vocation. While it is true <coughs> that monasteries may undertake certain works, I'm thinking of the monks from America who went to China in the last century, those works do not define the monastic life. When the works undertaken by Benedictines fail, or go bankrupt, or are suppressed by a hostile government, nothing of the essence of Benedictine life is affected. Monks are not about making jellies, or cheese, or fruitcakes, or beer, though they may do all of these things and do them very well. Monks are not about designing liturgical vestments and sewing them, or about painting icons, or about doing calligraphy, or about writing learned treatises, or about running excellent schools, though they may do all these things and make a success of them. Monks are not even about singing Gregorian chant, although one might dare hope they do and do it well. All of this is by way of background to chapter 27. It is to my mind one of the most beautiful chapters of the rule. And I think it is profitably read <coughs> together with St. Aylred's pastoral prayer, which Brother Hildebrand might take out again and make available in the scriptorium. Uh, St. Aylred's pastoral prayer is in some way a commentary on chapter 27. The abbot is a physician dedicated to the care of sin-sick souls. He is a father concerned lest any one of his sons fall into too great a sadness. That beautiful provision for sempecte, for elders who are capable of compassion, and they go to the excommunicated brother, as it were, in secret to console him, lest he falls, St. Benedict says, into too great a sadness. Is that not wonderful? The abbot is a good shepherd, ready to pursue the one sheep gone astray, to take pity on its weakness 
and to carry it on his own shoulders over terrains that are rough and treacherous. The duty of the abbot is to keep his family together, holding as strongly and as tenderly to the feeble and fragile as to the healthy and strong. In our Benedictine family, each one should be able to sing today's communion antiphon, Sapienter, with spiritual understanding and from the heart. Where else should the sparrow find a home, the swallow a nest for her brood, but at thy altar, Lord of hosts, my King and my God? How blessed, Lord, are those who dwell in thy house. They will be ever praising thee. Today's communion antiphon really um, is the perfect complement to chapter 27.